This week on Developer Weekly. And everything that I designed came because I needed something. I was missing something. And I talk about it. I blog about that. This episode is brought to you by me. If you like this show and you want to support it, please visit my courses on Pluralsight and buy my new book, 200 Things Developers Should Know, which is about programming, career, troubleshooting, dealing with managers, health, and much more. You can find my Pluralsight courses and the book over at www.developerweeklypodcast.com about. That is www.developerweeklypodcast.com slash about. Welcome to another episode of Developer Weekly. This week, I'm talking with Dennis Doman about managing a successful open source project. Dennis is a veteran architect in the .NET space with a special interest in writing clean code, domain-driven design, event sourcing, and everything agile. He specializes in designing enterprise solutions based on the .NET technologies, as well as providing coaching on all aspects of designing, building, and maintaining enterprise systems. He is the author of FluentAssertions.com, a very popular .NET assertion framework, LiquidProjections.net, a set of libraries for building event sourcing architectures, and he has been maintaining coding guidelines for C-Sharp on csharpcodingguidelines.com since 2001. He also keeps a blog on his everlasting quest for better solutions at continuousimprover.com. You can reach him at Twitter through Dennis Doman. Hey, welcome to the show, Dennis. Thank you for your time. Awesome. How are you doing? Great. Thank you for asking. Yeah, really great. By the way, my Twitter uh, um, handle is ddoman, not Dennis Doman. Doman, yes. Yes, yeah. Yes. Yeah, just yeah, just to be clear. Yeah. I will put all of this in the show notes so that people can uh, yeah. check you out and follow you from there. Yeah, if you yeah, sorry. If if you read up the the bio like that and then it's like really is that me? Am I really doing all this stuff and then I think like <laughs> yeah, I'm actually doing all this stuff. Not as active yeah, as pretty, I used to be, but still, yeah. You seem pretty busy indeed. <laughs> it, it's yeah. the combination of 23 years of uh, software development and I have a lot of passions. But uh, yeah, to be honest, since this topic is about open source, it's sometimes struggling to find the time to work on all these things at the same time. So it is a, is yeah. a lot of things. Yeah, I can imagine. So your your bio says that you are an architect, right? Does that mean that you just draw pictures all day? Um, I like to believe in a coding architect. I don't really believe in architects that just indeed draw pictures in PowerPoint or draw IO or something. I really like to be part of the development team. So generally, I spend about 30% of my time on coding and the rest is, you know, the typical things an architect does, meetings, alignments, code reviews, uh, indeed drawing a PowerPoint picture occasionally. Um, I have to say the last couple of weeks have been particularly busy with alignment related works. So most of my coding happens in the evening, unfortunately, but that will change soon again. But up to now, wow. yeah, I've managed to spend almost half of my time still on production code. That's excellent, yeah. yeah because yeah. that's the fun, isn't it? That's uh, I, yeah. Fun is. I mean, I, as I just said, I spent the last four weeks not doing it, and I really, really miss it. You know, working with the team, <laughs> building something that goes into production, 
Uh, I'm a finisher person, so I like to build something, put it to production, see how it runs, optimize it. That is my. I'm not the person that starts new things and then moves on. I I, I love to finish things and really make it production ready. Right, that's very good. So today I wanted to talk to you about uh, open source. You have a lot of open source projects, so I want to talk about um, what you're doing and how you make it successful and aspects of open source. But let's just take a step back for the listener and talk about what open source is. So to you, what actually is open source and what is the alternative and why does it exist? Pooh, that's a good question. I didn't think about that. <laughs> open source is is software that you can use for free. Of course, that's the, the gener- generic definition mm-hmm. that most people understand. But it doesn't come for free. I mean, it is free, but it doesn't come for free. If you right. use open source software, for me, it means, and that's kind of a policy that I use it myself at my clients' projects, is that if you use something like that, you need to make sure that either there's a big group of people behind that, so it's there to last, you know, they, and, and the group is capable of providing support, or the quality of that code needs to be good enough that in case the author or authors that, that were behind that project abandon the product project, that you're capable of taking that code and make it your own. Because in the end, it is still something that you're responsible for. And, and right. that, yeah, so that means that you, if you use some open source library, you have to you have to actually make sure it makes sense. You know, which also includes the the vulnerabilities, the um, how fast people react to, to to issues. Do they accept pull requests? How well is the documentation written? Does it have proper tests, uh, unit tests that will also help you understand? So I, I actually just as critical to open source as I am to the code that I'm writing myself or the team is writing. Right. So yeah, so and and the, the the competition or the alternative, of course, is commercial software, which also comes with the pros and cons. Yes, you get good support. Uh, of course, you pay for that, but there's also a risk that um, because it's proprietary and it's closed, that if you find a bug or something like that, you're kind of left to the gods to f- to fix the bug in time, which is a bit easier with open source software. Right. So, so open source software is open, as in you can see the source, mm-hmm. you can contribute to the source, and it is generally free, mm-hmm. right? And then closed software, you need to pay for it, and it's all a black box, basically. Yeah, but you get something in return, of course. You get support um, uh, in general. You get support. Usually, uh, commercial software is also a bit more tested regularly. But again, yeah, it depends what open source software you use. If you use some obscure library, that usually is not the case. But if you use one of the popular libraries, uh, especially the JavaScript world, of course, you get like good support for that. Right. Yeah, because that's obviously the the uh, the nightmare scenario where you rely heavily on an open source project in your production software, and then it gets abandoned. Yeah, true. It doesn't get updated, right? No, it happens. I mean, it's it's almost in, in, inevitable. Um, uh, sometimes people just abandon the product because it's been replaced by something more mature, or maybe Microsoft has built something similar. It always happens. I know, for instance, a very popular uh, logging library called Liblog, which was beautiful because it didn't add a requirement or didn't add a dependency to your project, just a couple of source files, uh, and would would make your code independent of the specific logging library, has been abandoned because Microsoft now has created their own abstraction in the ASP.NET in the .NET Core. Right. So there's good reasons yeah. for that, and that means you need you need to move away from that. Um, yeah. Sometimes it's not entirely clear what the future is. I've been a very 
uh, active user of Hibernate for years, uh, the uh, .NET Open Object Relational Mapper. Um, for a while, it looked like it was kind of dead in the water. And now it's getting traction again. But of course, we have Microsoft's Entity Framework, which is supposed to be a competitor. Yeah, of course, the one from Microsoft is supported by Microsoft. It's part of the .NET Framework. Uh, that is a trade-off that you're going to take. It has less features, you know, versus an open source thing. And you see yeah. that with more and more projects. I know that ProxyKit, which is something that uh, a colleague from the .NET community, Damien Hickey, created, which is a beautiful little proxy that you can use in your .NET application without the deployment footprint, which serves a real purpose. But since Microsoft is now building something inside the .NET framework, he decided to, uh, to abandon it or to stop developing this is normal. This this will happen eventually. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I can imagine. Plus, people get busy and just you know start doing other things with their lives. Of course, they get children. They shift yeah. focus. They move to a different platform. I don't know. That happens all the time. Yeah. But I'm still here. I'm still here. <laughs> I don't plan to go away. Yeah, and we can rely on you to just keep uh, pulling these uh, great open source projects forward. Well, the good thing is I'm not pulling it myself uh, alone. I mean, there's more people involved. That That is also crucial, of course. Yeah. All right. Let, let's talk a bit about that. So let's let's first start um, with your open source contributions. You have a lot. You have fluid assertions. You have liquid projections and C-sharp coding line, guidelines. Mm -hmm. Why have, did you start yeah. those? Yeah. And I also have, uh, I think, fluid caching. Uh, wow. Amaru caching. And I have Beacon, which is a... A build light uh, tool. Um, yeah, oh so my God. You're, you're so busy. <laughs> I, I actually saw your, your GitHub profile and you can see the activity chart there on your GitHub profile. And you just put me to shame, man, because it's all green. <laughs> nah, it's not that bad. No, no, no. Maybe it looks like that because uh, I, I don't, not every evening I have the energy to work on that. I'm always <laughs> struggling between writing on my, uh, my next blog post. Uh, mostly fluent assertions. I have done a bit of development recently. I do mostly do the code reviews and handle the discussions uh, from people that want to contribute or have uh, questions that don't align with the philosophy of the library. That is my biggest... It's almost like I'm the architect again, also for this uh, library. But I have a good right. uh, good friend, uh, Jonas Europe, who's uh, in um, Denmark, who is very active right now. I even can't keep up with all the things he's doing sometimes, yeah. And this is on fluent assertions, right? Yes, just fluent assertions, yes. Yeah. And and what is that exactly? Can you expand a bit on what, what it is and why it is there? It's um, a small library to make your the assertions in your unit tests a bit more readable. I mean, if you're a fan of fluent APIs, then you will love it. If you hate fluent APIs, because those people exist as well, you'll hate it. Um <laughs> And it's really optimized to make the error messages that when you're, I don't know, the result of your test does not match what was expected, that you get really clear messages. This is one of the unique selling points. Right, yeah, because normally when I do a unit test and an assertion fails, it's, it's sometimes difficult to find out why that actually is. Exactly. So it will include the actual variable that you were asserting on. So it tries to read the stack trace. And you can usually also add a, like a, a because to it to emphasize like, what is it? Why does this thing have to be true instead of false? Because what I hate is that expected it, if, uh, what does it do? Is it like expected true found false. What does that right. say? I want to know like, I, I mean, you can still do that if you do something like uh, my variable uh, should be true and it isn't true. It will say 
uh, expected my variable to be true, but it's false, which is a slight improvement, but at least you know my variable. And if my variable has a more functional name, it will help you. But you can also add a message to it, like because, and then you can describe some functional expectation there. Right. I, I, want my, uh, I want my unit test to be crystal clear. I want to have them a clear range, act in a third part. And I, I treat my unit test in general as documentation. That's why I also love test-driven development. And Fluent Assertions really ties well in that, into that philosophy. Yeah, right. Uh, I, I just, I, I can't wrap my mind around test-driven development, as in I do understand what it is. I just have such a hard time actually doing it, you know? It's, it's all about, you know, treating your code as, or treating your test as a kind of specifications. And I literally call my test projects dot specs instead of dot test, because yeah, I, I when when I when I try to design a class, and usually I've already thought about the scope of that class and the responsibility of that class in the bigger picture, and then I just start to spin out scenarios. Usually, I even create a test class and then add comments at the top of my class, like all the functional scenarios that I think the class should uh, adhere to, and then start implementing those tests. And while I do that the mere fact that I'm trying to define the expected behavior triggers thoughts about, but wait a second, what if this happens? What if that happens? And immediately when I do that, I write a to-do at the, at the top of the page uh, so that I don't forget to cover that scenario. And then I start to implement it. I'm not that dogmatic that it's really like um, uh, you don't write a single line of production code until there's a test. That's what TDD actually tells you. I'm a bit more practical than that, but I definitely use my test as a way to drive the behavior of my class. And after that, my tests are not just a safety net. They're also uh, documentation. This also applies, right. by the way, right. to fluent assertion. If you go to the tests, the goal of those is to also, because quite often if I get a question on the internet about some behavior of an API fluent assertions, I generally don't go to the implementation. I go to the tests to see how this would what 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 this what this specific API would look like, and refer people to that specific test case, which is the promise of TDD, and I generally believe in that. Yeah, I think it's a good uh, good way to work. So just to, to step back for people that don't know what test driven development is, it is when you first create your test and then write the code to make that test work, basically. Correct. Yes. So all right, that's, that so that's fluent assertions. And that's a very specific use case, really, you know, to help with unit tests, a very niche thing. Yeah. But still, it has 50 million downloads, right? Mm -hmm. True. That's a lot. Oh, How 52. did you do that? 50, I didn't do anything. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> yeah, what did I do? Um, I, I think I, I thought myself, like, why, why is it successful? And, and, and it is a bit of a mystery for me as well. If I had to mention things that I think have been you know, have been contributed to that is probably because it's, first of all, it's a library. You know, it's a, it's not a framework. It's not something that if you buy into it, you're stuck forever. Right. I know that people have switched over from NUnit to Fluent Assertions just by using a regular expression. Uh, uh, so it means that if you if you start to use it, it's not like you're stuck until the end of time. That, that's a big difference already. I it's mean, really an add-on to your project yeah, and not so much exactly. the basis. Yeah, th this is for me is also like I love to build libraries, not frameworks, because I know I also love to use libraries, not frameworks, because frameworks, yeah, they use you. And, you know, you, you have to derive from base classes, which makes it very hard to change it uh, later on. And it's only used in test code. I mean, nobody's using, well, a couple of people are, but generally people use fluid assertions in their test code. 
which means it's not as production critical. You know, performance is not that production critical. Um, yes, what I mentioned before, it uses. Uh, I've been using TDD from the start. So even if somebody reports a bug, the first thing I do is I create a test case to verify that this bug exists. And if so, uh, I'll fix it after. So, so basically the test will fail, then I fix the, uh, the bug, and then I make sure the test is green. Um, why is it successful? Documentation, I've been pretty adamant about documentation since day one. Support, I would say, is pretty good. Uh, I see that there's a lot of activity on Stack Overflow. Most of the questions I don't even have to answer myself. There's a quite big community. Of course, that didn't happen from the start. In the beginning, I had to spend a lot of time on this. It's yeah. quite extensible. So if you want to, you can you can build all your all kind of ex- extra um, extensions to the framework, build your own extensions or your, your own assertions. I've documented that. Um, yeah, and it will make your test more readable. And it doesn't have a catchy name. I don't know. I, I, <laughs> I, I like Fluindy. I mean, all my open source libraries have something fluidy in the name. I don't know. Yeah, or liquid. Yes. Yeah, yeah but it's all the same. I actually looked for that. Uh, I have fluid <laughs> caching, fluent assertions, liquid projections. Yeah, what's in a name? And uh, it's yeah, it's a very good, uh, very good job. So you're saying uh, documentation is a big part of it. Yeah. Because when I start using something and the documentation isn't there or isn't good, then I I tend to just go away and look for something else that I that's easier to use because I'm looking for ease ease of use. Of course, I want to use this right now. I want to be able to implement it right now. And if I run into any trouble, it should be right there. So did you create the documentation yourself at first? Yeah, yeah, I did. I had the various the versions of that. In the past, uh, it was in Codeplex, of course. Uh, yeah. But since, uh, since uh, I think, three, four years, I've been using uh, GitHub pages with a Jekyll um, a template behind that. Um, and I had some help from people, like uh, somebody helped me set up Cloudflare. Um, uh, somebody else created the logo for me. I used um, minimal mistakes, which is a kind of a jackal template for that. Uh, so over time, I started to improve. It didn't look like that from the start. I mean, if I look in the past, I, I found a very ugly Codeplex page a long time ago. It's still cached <laughs> somewhere. Um, right. Yeah. But yeah, there's so much stuff available for free to set it up. But the documentation, yeah. And of course, people contribute. I mean, what I do these days, since the... Um, documentation is part of the same repository if somebody creates a pull request i actually we actually ask them to also add a like a, a small addition to the documentation and add a row to the release notes because they're all part of the same repository which helps of course to streamline this whole process right and yeah this is the maturity that happened over the years you know trying to find the best way to deal with documentation and how to keep it up to date and of course, there's some ads. I know that, but that that pays for all the DNS, uh, sorry, all the domain names. Um, but yeah. yeah, most of the stuff is free these days. It's very easy to set it up. So you have documentation. Everything is on GitHub. Yeah. Do you have other uh, plumbing set up for building and uh, testing things? Yes, of course. Um, in the past, uh, I used a simple batch script, and I, that's funny because I also use my open source project to try new things over time. Um, I, I did once did a presentation about the evolution, but I remember that in 2009, about a year after we started uh, making it open source, um, we used a simple batch file, you know, just a, which calls MS build and that's it. And then right. I think somewhere in, I don't know, 2014, 15, we moved to Sake, which is a PowerShell build based uh, build script. 
because I really strongly believe in build local as you build remote. So I treat my build server just as a, yeah, as a trigger, you know, to, to trigger, to build, to run the build script, collect some results, and that's it. But I want to be able to run everything locally as I do it remotely, because I want to be able to make sure that my NuGet package that comes out of that is correct, has the right dependencies, and I want to be able to debug that if something is wrong. Um, then I think I moved, removed to Cake, which was a built framework using C-sharp, but that didn't really like it. It wasn't really C-sharp. It was kind of their own language. And since uh, last year, we switched to Nuke, which is also a C-sharp-based uh, build system, but it's very mature and very nice to work with. Uh, allows me even to debug, put breakpoints in my build script. And um, I use AppFair as my build engine, which is free. So that's ah, nice. Right. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. That is nice, yes, because uh, some of the, this stuff just costs money, right? Yeah. You need a, a domain name. Correct. Uh, you have all sorts of other small costs. And, of course, your time as well. That costs money. Yeah, that's How do you pay for all this? Well, the time is just private time. That's what mm -hmm. it is. It's just my personal investment in that. Yeah, and, and do you get uh, time from your employer to work on this? No, yeah, I can. I just don't have enough time, period. I officially have a day a week to work on all kinds of stuff, coaching, presentations, but I'm so busy with my clients, I can't really find time. I know in the past that I fixed some bug, you know, that we ran into at the, at the project and used that to fix it, but generally I'm too busy. So I, I don't have that much time. I, I mostly do it in the evening or on the weekends. Yeah. Right. So, yeah, and I don't uh, get paid, so yeah, that's the thing. Yeah. yeah, you don't get paid, that's the thing, yeah. So... <laughs> Uh, what about the rest of the costs? How do you how do you cover those? Do you have sponsorship or, or ads? Not really. Uh, what what I'm I'm very happy with the fact that JetBrains is really supporting the .NET community. Um, I get free uh, licenses for almost everything, um, mm. and also everybody who contributes, uh, who is an active contributor to the project, gets a gets a resharper, a writer, whatever you want to use, which is awesome. And they've always done that. Um, this is not the reason, by the way, why I'm such a um, a proponent of uh, their IDE writer, but it just okay. happens to be like that. Be before, when I was still using Visual Studio, I benefited from a, a free ReSharper license. I also use Semantic Merge, which is an awesome C Sharp merge tool, which I get free licenses for, but that's about it. AppFair is already free. Uh, GitHub is free. So in general, it's just time. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. So that's, that's actually a very great incentive uh, for the community that they could get free licenses yeah. for IDEs and other tools. And there's a lot of tools, that, a lot of companies that do that. I don't use that many different tools, but in generally, I think Gitkraken, which is my, I think I also have a free license, by the way. Gitkraken is my most, uh, my popular, um, uh, my favorite um, Git uh, use interface. Tried many mm -hmm. of them. I think I have a free license for that as well. I have to act, actually add a banner to the uh, Fluid Assertions landing page. Right. And, and what about uh, the .NET Foundation? That's a foundation that helps open source projects, right? Yeah. Are you a part of that or do you want to be? I'm not sure. I'm not part of that. I have contacted once and had to fill a lot of information. I still haven't figured out what it adds to me. What, 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 what will I gain from it? Right. I have to talk yeah. a little bit with because I know the founder, the, 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 the board member, the, the lead board member, I know, I know, um, I know her. So I need to check a little bit, like, what what do I gain from that? I haven't really spent a lot of time on that, unfortunately. Right. Yeah, because I, uh, uh, what I think they, uh, one of the things that they do is provide coaching as well as to how to build and create your uh, uh, 
your community but mm -hmm. i think you already have a very good exactly one, that's that's my point yeah it, it evolved yeah. over time so i don't need anything there i don't need legal support if that would right. ever happen yeah then i can use my employer for that uh, no no need for it right now ah, right. but in general it's yeah, you need to do your own marketing a little bit i mean yeah i've done a lot of uh, presentations over the last 10 years not about fluent assertions but also about mostly about architecture but also about test driven development and of course i will use fluent assertions there and i might not even mention that it's it's a you know a little plug of the library that's how i do it and everything that i designed came because i needed something i was missing something and i talk about that i blog about that i do sometimes report we um, actually i spent a while on stack overflow it's probably a couple of years ago where i was checking all the unit testing related uh, questions and try to yeah. answer them and sometimes use that as a, as a, as a opportunity to plug uh, fluid decisions a little bit. But I don't remember exactly how active I have been so long ago already. Yeah, it's 12 <laughs> right. years. That's a long time, yeah. yeah. But then you, you did do a lot of marketing uh, also indirectly by doing your presentations, of course, because people see you and then they check you out and then they uh, get true. to the library. Yeah, true, true, yeah. And I've also been very open about the design philosophy and Fluent Assertions itself is also, you can see it as a project, you learn new things from it. So when I started using Nuke as an example for my build tool, I write a blog post about it. When I was thinking about uh, all the backwards compatibility issues that we're facing, I use that also to, to, to write about that or talk about that. Um, there's a lot of, it's, it's, it also creates a lot of inspiration for me to, to experiment and talk about topics related to that and use that as opportunities to to also ex uh, to, uh, like coach clients, for instance, because they're also running the same problems. Release yeah, and branching because, strategies, yeah. all that stuff. It's like a real project. It <laughs> is. It is. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I and mean, a big one. And yeah, it's quite popular. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, so lots of people have downloaded this, millions. And so also people that use... Uh, it in older applications, I imagine. Yeah. As in, in applications that now run in production and they just forgot about or will never update again. So how do you deal with uh, supporting older frameworks? For instance, I see on one of your pages that you still support .NET 4.5, right? Mm -hmm. It runs on .NET 4.5, which is relatively old. Mm -hmm. How do you decide that you want to still support that? It, it is a matter of costs. As in, if it's relatively easy to support it uh, uh, without making my development uh, effort more complicated, I'll keep it in. Um, especially right. with uh, the recent cross-compilation uh, cross process that uh, .NET has, it has been fairly easy to support multiple different frameworks. It's just a matter of putting a target frameworks uh, property in your CS project, and, and that is enough. And of course, uh, some things won't compile, so you have to play around a little bit with uh, if dev statements, um, so it's it's not that bad, um, but yeah, every major release, which happens every couple of years, we tend to drop things. I mean, the latest uh, official version right now is 5.10. Uh, when was 5 introduced? I think I have it somewhere written down. Version 5 was introduced in 2018, beginning, mm -hmm. indeed, which included .NET 4.5, that standard 1416 and 20, which was the version used cross compilation. Before that, it was a bit more painful. I had to use uh, portable class libraries. Maybe some of the listeners remember that. Um, 
and then all kinds of uh, shared projects, uh, which was a concept that Visual Studio introduced. But if I go really back, it was quite hard. I remember that in the beginning, we had to use uh, linked files. So 2011. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. yeah. Basically, we had, we had like, I think, multiple projects. For every target framework, you had a separate project, and they used linked files to refer to each other, which was annoying because if you started to rename files or split files, it yeah. basically didn't compile. Yeah. It, it got a lot better with the, the shared products. They were introduced, I think, in 2014. But now, with cross-compilation, it comes for free almost. But to be fair, in .NET, in the Fluid Association 6, which we're working on right now, we're probably, no, we're probably, we have already dropped all the old .NET frameworks. Right. Yeah. All right. Yeah, yeah we, we've come a long way in uh, sharing code across uh, multiple projects. Absolutely. Yeah. And now it's, it's way more easy with uh, .NET standard. Oh, it's so easy. Although it's not a 100% foolproof solution. I've run a couple of times in something that is supposed to work. It's supposed to compile, and it actually compiles uh, with the right uh, Microsoft NuGet packages. But then at runtime, it may actually throw an exception, like platform not supported exception, oh, which is right. a bit annoying. So it's not, it is kind of a leaky abstraction here and there, yeah. which is annoying. And that, that has cost us a lot of time trying to figure out how that works. Like somebody says like, hey, why can't you just support Xamarin version, blah, 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 just by targeting this .NET standard version, and then you do. Uh, and then you have to use a certain Microsoft extension library for certain target frameworks. And that can become a bit unwieldy sometimes. Right, yeah. Which still means okay. you need to test every target framework. So we create test projects, obviously using a shared project, but we do actually run the test for every target platform to make sure that everything works as expected. Yeah. My goodness, what a lot of work. <laughs> it is, it is. But yeah, to be fair, uh, we didn't write this in one year. It's a 12-year endeavor. A lot of things yeah. changed over time. And there's a lot of help. I mean, especially last uh, last six months, I've seen an influx of pull requests. Uh, it's quite incredible. The community has been very active recently. Yeah. So do you have many uh, active contributors? I have, a, I think, would say like about 10 people that are generally quite active. They come back. Uh, some of them are also incredibly critical. They, they propose huge refactoring or huge changes which feels like they might be too risky, but yeah, they also, you know, trigger large discussions on Slack sometimes. Discussions that I like, I can't even do this in between work. I just have to spend time and understand what they mean. But there's about 10 regular contributors and there's one person that is extremely active. That's Jonas from Denmark, who helps right. me, like who's, who spends almost every day on the, the project right now, which is awesome yeah. because it really allows us to move faster these days. All right. Yeah. So these these uh, contributors are they mostly very uh, experienced developers, or are they also juniors? I see different things. I see people that are still struggling with Git. I see people that are very experienced and are are, are thinking about the fundamental behavior of the library. Uh, one of the um, mm -hmm. unique selling points of Fluent Association is a method called should be equivalent to, which is used to do deep object graph comparisons. Um, and it has certain behavior in place, how it deals with collections. And I've had discussions about like people saying, yeah, but you know, we should change this and we should change that. And they're completely redesigning it, come with proposals, which is almost like you won't expect that from an open source project. You know, the same with yeah. uh, async support, uh, how to deal with um, making sure that you don't create deadlocks in your unit test. And there have been people participating in that. Um, also, I don't know if you uh, know um, Claire Novotky, 
uh, who's yeah. the um, the lead of the um, the the Dotnet Foundation that you just mentioned, and she has been very uh, involved, uh, especially like five, four, four or five years, helping me make the framework uh, support multiple libraries, deal with all the PCL complexities, uh, especially when the time when Microsoft was redesigning the framework, we had something called .NET five which was a moniker a couple of years ago, which is weird because now we get .NET 5 as well. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and uh, she was really adamant. I met her a couple of times in New York and we spent uh, a lot of time explaining all these complexities. And that's, that helped. And I also know that Fluent Associates is used by a couple of uh, Microsoft uh, open source .NET SDK libraries, which will also, uh, uh, which is a good thing. Wow, that's a very good thing. Yeah. So, um if people want to jump into Fluid Insertions and want to help out and contribute to something, mm -hmm. what kind of uh, issues do you have? Are they all very complex or do you maybe also have like jump-in issues yes. for people that are starting out in yeah, open source? Indeed. Yeah, this is something we have. There's a couple of issues, a lot of them actually. We use a label called Help Wanted uh, to emphasize that these are things which are relatively constrained in terms of scope and complexity. So it's quite easy to jump on board. And uh, we have a Slack, Slack account uh, with specific channels for um, developing the library instead of using it. Um, in general, we're very open and very uh, easygoing. Uh, it doesn't mean that we say yes to everything, by the way, because, yeah, <laughs> as you can imagine, a big library like this with a lot of users, you have a lot of responsibility making sure you don't break things, uh, not just source control compatibility, but even binary compatibility. So sometimes we're actually trying to think of writing down some design guidelines yeah it's incredible it's almost like a real project yeah yeah we need i mean people need to understand what kind of behavior is expected you know if somebody passes a nil into a into a, a b method what kind of behavior do we expect to be consistent yeah. you know and sometimes you also get like hey i want to add this not b alternative and then we need to start thinking about okay but if you do this for this method then you probably also need to do it for the other ones. Otherwise, it becomes inconsistent. And in the past, we didn't really care too much about it. But now, yeah, we sometimes ask them, like, are you willing to, you know, take it a bit further? Uh, if not, then sometimes it means we have to do more work. But quite often, people are quite, quite, quite open. Um, so, yeah, we're That's quite great. supportive. Yeah, yeah. It is All easy. right. Because it, it's also not a very complicated uh, project. It's not right, yeah. And and it is a library, not a framework. It's exactly. an add-on thing. Yeah. yeah, which makes it a lot easier to, to develop new features. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So uh, I would definitely encourage uh, listeners, if they want to jump into open source or just find another open source project to contribute to, just go to fluentassertions.com and go to the GitHub page, pick something out, work on it, and then uh, put in your pull request and maybe it gets in there. Yeah. Dennis, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you for spending it with me. Awesome. And I hope you're continuing with your great work <laughs> and finding the time to do so. I will. And uh, it was an honor. It was fun to talk about my uh, favorite open source project. All right. You can find Dennis on Twitter at ddomen <laughs> <laughs> and at all his uh, other websites that will be included in the show notes. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening. Tune in next week for another episode of Developer Weekly.